IndyCar fans, it's time to start your engines. Welcome to Pit Pass Indy, a production of Evergreen Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Martin, a journalist who regularly covers the NTT IndyCar series. Our goal at Pit Pass Indy is to give racing fans an insider's view of the exciting world of the NTT IndyCar series in a fast-paced podcast featuring interviews with the biggest names in the sport. I bring nearly 40 years of experience covering IndyCar and NASCAR, working for such media brands as NBCSports.com, SI.com, ESPN Sports Ticker, Sports Illustrated, Auto Week, and Speed Sport. So let's drop the green flag on this episode of Pit Pass Indy. Another NTT IndyCar Series season has seemingly raced right on by. It will conclude in this weekend's Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach when the 2021 NTT IndyCar Series Championship will be decided. Two drivers were eliminated from championship contention in last Sunday's Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey, including six-time NTT IndyCar Series champion Scott Dixon and his Chip Ganassi racing teammate Marcus Erickson. That leaves Alex Pillow, Pato Award, and two-time NTT IndyCar Series champion Joseph Newgarden as the last three drivers remaining to determine the championship in Sunday's fabled street race. Pillow has a 35-point lead over Award entering the final race of the season. Newgarden is 48 points back and would have to score the maximum 55 points available in the race to claim a third IndyCar Series championship. This will be the 16th consecutive season in which the NTT IndyCar Series title race will be decided at the final race of the season. We have a jam-packed show today with lots of great guests, so let's get right to it with my interview with Pillow, who finished second to race winner Colton Herta in last Sunday's Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey to take firm control of the championship. He increased his lead from 25 points to 35, heading to Long Beach. Joining us now on Pit Pass Indy is Alex Pillow, driver of the NTT Data Honda at Chip Ganassi Racing. Here we are. It's the last race of the season. Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach. This is what you've been waiting your whole season for, decide a championship. How do you feel? Yeah, not only my all my season, but uh, I would say all my racing career, waiting for this moment to 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 fight for a big championship like uh, like we have now. So. I'm super excited about it. Um, it's a track that I'm looking forward to. I think it's one of those big events that we wait all year, and it's awesome to finish a championship there. Um, but, uh, yeah, the only issue is that I don't know the track. <laughs> I did some simulator work, and and we got some videos, obviously, and we'll try and fight as much as possible till the end. So because you don't really know the track, how important is the track walk going to be on Thursday night? Yeah, it's super important, and I would say especially on street courses. Um, uh, we spend a lot of time on the track walk, um, stopping in every corner, knowing where the big bumps are and, and the curbs you can take, the curbs you cannot take. And yeah, I think I'm going to do more than one lap uh, trying to, to, to get to know the track um, for, for free practice one. 
From what you have seen of Long Beach Street Course, one of the great races in North America, how excited are you just to compete in it? Um, super, super excited. I think um, it's one of those races that you want to win just because of the atmosphere there is there, the the historic of, of that course and those races. And yeah, I think it will be awesome. I know it's going to be tough, but uh, yeah, we, we will never give up. The fact that Chip Ganassi Racing has had so much success at Long Beach, how much does that give you confidence that you'll be able to close it out there? Oh, a lot, a lot of confidence. Like we had really good, um, the team had really good races there um, already since uh, Dario was there and, and, and Scott a long time ago and they were winning lots of races there. So I think it's a good opportunity for us, but also this year I think we've been improving a lot our street uh, course performance. Uh, since Detroit, we've been improving and I've been feeling better. So I think we can carry that on into Long Beach. You've been building up for this your entire career. What's it like to know that it's finally here? It's amazing. I mean, as I said, yeah, I've been, it feels like you've been preparing since you, since the first day I, I started racing go-karts uh, for this moment. Such a big moment, a big moment for me, for the team, that we, I think we, we're ready. We're ready to, to try and fight and bring that championship home. You'd be the first Spaniard to win an NTT IndyCar Series championship. And how important would that be to your home country? That would be amazing, to be honest. Um, to be the first Spanish driver to win an IndyCar championship would be amazing. Um, I think it would be really big for for the championship itself on the upcoming years. Uh, lots of people would know uh, about IndyCar, would start following it, um, and it would be amazing. So I would be super happy if that happens. So in Formula One, the Monaco Grand Prix is one of the premier races of the season. So what do you really know about the Long Beach Grand Prix? Because it's considered the second biggest street race in the world behind Monaco. Yeah, everybody's been telling me that um, I think the track itself make it really special, like the course, it's challenging, it's super fast, but then also where it's located and the atmosphere that the fans get there, um, that's what makes the, the event so big. And, and yeah, everybody's been telling me that I'm going to love that event and I cannot wait to be there. And also moving forward, another year of experience. Looks like Chip Ganassi's put together a really great operation here. There's experience, there's youth. You've even got a former NASCAR champion on the team. What do you see as the future of what the four of you can do together? I think that the level of, of the team this year, it's been fantastic. And, and, and this is with having an extra car, um, new people, but uh, they've been working super hard and, and super good during all year and I think Jimmy's helping everybody on the work ethic on track as well Marcus the same Scott the same and, and we're trying to put our our stuff as well so I think we have a really strong team um, with the drivers and every car every every it all the cars are pushing each other to try and make it uh, even better for, for the next races. And to be able to do this in your first season with Chip Ganassi Racing, how important is that to you? That's amazing. Um, I mean, it's it's always... It was my first time to, to be able to drive for a championship winning team, um, for a big team like Chip Ganassi Racing, and I, I wanted to deliver 100%. I think we've been delivering it 
um, as much as we could this year and, and it's working out. So um, it's amazing to be able to do it on the first year already, but I couldn't be able to do that without the support of all the team. Alex Polo, good luck in the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach. Good luck in the NTT Championship. And thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy. Of course, thank you so much. Although Alex Polo has been the points leader for most of the season, Pato Award of Mexico was actually the leader just two races ago entering the Grand Prix of Portland. Since then, he has seen his lead slip away and enters Sunday's Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach, needing some help. But the 22-year-old driver from Mexico is up for the challenge. Here's my interview with Award entering this weekend's race. Joining us now on Pit Pass, Indy, is Pato Award of Aero McLaren SP Racing. Pato, here it is. One race to go. Championship on the line. How do you feel heading into Long Beach? Yeah, we're in the fight, man. And uh, I think it's going to be a full send it from our part. You know, this is the the closing stages of, of what we've been working on the past few months. And, um, you know, whatever, whatever happens... I'm proud of what we've been able to accomplish this year. We've, you know, we've got some, some great results. Uh, we've been in the fight for the championship the whole year. And, um, you know, our initial goal was we want to get to Long Beach with a shot to win it. And um, I'm, I'm proud that we've, that we've done that. But when you look at how things can change so dramatically in IndyCar, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Um... I mean, it, it's a good thing whenever it's to your favor, yeah. but it's a terrible thing whenever it's not to your favor. Um, what's just, you know, it, what's tough is that you can get um, you you can get really on the back foot based on someone else's mistake, and really something that's completely out of your control. But I guess that's the same for everybody. So you gotta just suck it up and then try and make it back if 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 that happens to you. And also the fact that with so many races being, uh, whether you're on the right end of the yellow or the wrong end of the yellow, such as what happened at Portland, which created a 35-point swing, from a race driver's standpoint, how frustrating does that get? Uh, it sucks. It sucks because I feel like I did everything perfect. Uh, I think the team did a fantastic job in the pits. And then we got hosed by a yellow. We just were on the wrong strategy at that point because... You know, you can't just expect yellows to come out in certain situations. You got to just run your race like everything is going to be green. And it kind of made the alternate strategy come into play and it allowed them to to have the upper hand. Um, so at the, end of the, at the end of the day, I feel like it was a blessing in disguise for the front five guys to not make turn one. I was talking to Jim McCallion, uh, the president of the Grand Prix Association of Long Beach, and he said that for Pato Award to compete not only in the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach, but potentially win the championship would be huge for the Hispanic market in Southern California. Massive. And that would be important to the future of his race and the way everything works out on that. So how much pride do you feel in representing that community at Long Beach? A lot, man. It's it's something that I've always carried out, you know, on my back for my whole career and um I'm, I'm happy to see that people are enjoying and celebrating together with me with all the nice times that we've had this year so far. And hopefully I give them one more uh, reason to celebrate at the end of Sunday. Are there some favorite places, even though I know that you spent most of your time in Texas, but how comfortable are you with the Southern California areas 
Are there some good spots that you like to hit I love up here it. in Southern California? I love it, man. I spend a lot of time in Beverly Hills, actually, um, and I, I really enjoy going there. There's great food. Um, I love, you know, running on the trails, uh, spending time with my family. It's just a very relaxed environment and um, good to recharge. And the fact that there's been such a rejuvenation and interest in the NTT IndyCar Series, and a lot of it has to do with... You're with yourself and some of the younger drivers of the series. How cool is that to be part of that? Ah, it's awesome. It's it's awesome, and and it means that we're here to to give the veterans a good headache and not just um, stare at the rear at the rear wings. And um, you know, I feel like there's definitely been a shift. Um, we're, we're we're here to to compete and win races and challenge for championships and poles. Um, and I feel like it's it's forced everyone to step up their game, and I feel like everybody's really thriving in it because it's so competitive. Win or lose the championship, what is your off-season going to be like? Uh, it's going to be very busy. I have my Formula One test coming up, and I have a lot of trips overseas, um, and I'll be I'll be supporting the McLaren family for for uh, for the rest of the season in Formula One, and then um, yeah, probably I'll probably be restless after December and uh, just aching to get back into the IndyCar series. What is the date of your Formula One test? Uh, I believe it's the 14th of December. Okay, well, that ought to really be something for a lot of people to pay close attention to. But Pato Award, you've really opened up a lot of eyes this season, actually the past couple of seasons, and developed a lot of new fans. So congratulations on that. Good luck in the title chase. And thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy. Thank you very much. Two-time NTT IndyCar Series champion Joseph Newgarden of Team Penske is 48 points out, and each race pays a maximum of 54 points. He would need all that he could get, plus hope that Pelot and Award have issues in the race. But it's not over until it's over for Newgarden, as he explains to me in this interview. Joining us now on Pit Pass Indy is a two-time NTT IndyCar Series champion. It's Joseph Newgarden of Team Penske. I know that you really want to make that three-time NTT IndyCar Series champion. So how hard are you going to have to be able to, well, you got some ground to make up. So how tough a task is that going to be? It's going to be difficult. You know, I think for us, we're not, we're not in a favorable position, but we're in a good enough spot where we can still challenge for this championship. It's an important race. Need to have a good weekend. Um, but I feel confident we can do that. Let's focus on the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach. It's a race that you've competed at many times. How do you feel of about deciding the championship? For the second year in a row, it'll be decided on a street course. In years past, it's been decided on ovals and on natural terrain road courses. But when you have a race on a street course, does that make it a little more difficult to make up ground? Um, yes and no. It could, be, it could be good for you. It could be bad for you. You know, street courses can be chaotic. You know, that could either be to your benefit or, or it can be detrimental. Um, I think that's that's what it brings is the unknown, right? And I think if you're way in the lead, you probably don't like that. And if you need some ground to make up, then you, you then you do like it. Um, so that's what we're up against. You know, we've got to we got to hopefully put ourselves in a position where we're pretty close and then, you know, have things go our way on a on a question mark like a Long Beach. But as far as wrapping up a championship at the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach, which is arguably the second biggest race of the season in IndyCar, that's a pretty good stage, a pretty good backdrop to 
decide a championship. Yeah, it could be very special for sure. So uh, I'm excited. Long Beach is a, a great event. It's always, it's always a high level of energy. Hopefully we have something to celebrate there. Two years ago when you won your second championship, it was at Laguna Seca. And I think I asked you this a couple of weeks ago about that. You were very emotional when you got that one. But also that was a day where you had talked about you had to drive defensively rather than offensively. And how difficult is that for a racer to do? Uh, it's not normal. You know, I think for, for, a, for a race car driver, you know, you always want to be going forward and getting the most out of your situation. And that day it was about trying to win the championship and do everything we needed to do to, to secure the championship. That was the focus. It was hard to do. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it worked. And uh, we, we ended up where we needed to. So, you know, still look back on that with, with fond memories. So looking ahead to 2022 at Team Penske, what is your off-season plan? Obviously, you're going to take a little bit of time off, but I'm sure you'll really be involved with the engineering breakdown of the season and making plans for next year. What are some of the things that you'll be doing during the off-season? Well, we got to focus on Indy for sure. You know, I think that'll be a hot topic for us, uh, just trying to understand what we can do to win that race next year. And... Um, you know, any other areas that we can clean up or pick up on the, on the on the regular championship side, we'll be working on that too. So, yeah, some downtime, a lot of trips to Charlotte, you know, trying to make us better for, for 2022. But before we get to that, we got to, you know, try and close out 21 as best we can. And also next year's schedule, although as we speak, it hasn't been released yet, but I'm sure you have a pretty good idea what it looks like. Doubleheader at Iowa. And season may start a week or two earlier. Are you in favor of that? Yeah, I th I'm all for that. I think a February start could be nice. Uh, I always, you know, double the delight. I'm all for that. And I, you know, I, I really hope at some point we can get some more ovals too, like a, like a Milwaukee back. So I'm pretty excited to see the schedule. I think it'll be really good for the fans. Joseph Newgarden, he's always an exciting driver to watch on the track. Good luck in the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach. Good luck in the battle for the NTT IndyCar Series Championship. And thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy. Thanks, Bruce. Colton Herta dominated Sunday's Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey at Laguna Seca. He started on the pole and led 91 laps in the 95-lap race to score his second victory of the season, the fifth of his career. It was also the fourth overall win for the Herta family as his father, Brian, had two of his four career victories at Laguna Seca in the 1990s. Here's my interview with young Colton after Sunday's big win. Joining us now on Pit Pass Indy is the winning driver of the Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey for the second time in as many races here. It's Colton Herta. You dominated a 95-lap race led 91 laps in the race, but you said it wasn't as easy as it looked. How, why was that? Um, you know, I think because there was a lot of opposition from, from Alex. Um, you know, I had a point where the, the lap cars were tough to overtake and Alex was right behind me. So I had to defend and attack at the same point. And that's kind of what made it difficult. There was also a point of the race where Alex Pelot was coming up from behind. He narrowed a gap. When you made a pit stop, I believe it was your second stop of the race, 
your lead went from 19 seconds when you were back on the same strategy as him. He was only a few seconds behind you. How big a fight was that, especially with the drop-off and tire degradation? Uh, yeah, it was difficult, you know, because you want to push, but, you know, if you push too hard, you might burn the tires and give the people behind you a chance because um, that was going to be their best opportunity was at the end of the stint if somebody burned their tires off to overtake. So uh, I tried to keep the car under me for for as long as I could, um, and it seemed okay. And then also Romain Grosjean, the former Formula One driver, finished third. You said you knew that he was coming up from behind. So how aware were you to keep both of those drivers off your tail? Um, I wasn't too worried about Roman because I hadn't seen him yet. You know, I could see Alex in the mirror, but then um, Roman I, I couldn't see until maybe the last lap, so I wasn't really worried. Um, you know, I was taking it one step at a time, so trying to keep Paulo away, and if Roman passed him, then I'd, you know, focus on trying to keep him out of the way. Monterey race course, the WeatherTech Raceway at Laguna Seca has been nicknamed the House of Herta because your father won two of his four races here. You've now won two straight races here in your first two appearances in an IndyCar. Plus, you've passed him now on career victories. You have five. He had four. What's it going to be like now at the holiday table to look across at him and say, Dad, you didn't win as many races as I have. <laughs> I don't think that will be the case. Um, but, yeah, you know, it, it means a lot to win here. Obviously, with the family connection, my dad's done very well here. Um, you know, I, I have two wins. He has two wins here. But I am missing a pole position, so I think that's going to be the next thing to tie him on is, um, you know, one more career pole and then one more pole at Laguna Seca. And also, from a family standpoint, the fact that he calls your race strategy, how special does that make these two race victories in 2021 to know that you've been able to share them with your father in not only a familiar, a family way, but also as a race team way? It means a lot. Um, you know, it is it is really cool. It took me, you know, it, was, it took me a while to kind of get used to him being on my radio because I wasn't used to hearing his voice. And so it was a little strange at first, but once I kind of got used to that, it's it's been a lot of fun this year. And we've had a lot of success and, um, you know, highs and lows and, you know, taking them all on the chin. And we've just had a lot of fun. I've enjoyed it so much. I think a lot of people have already forgotten that early in the race, you and your teammate, Alexander Rossi, had a little bit of a banging incident at the start. How surprised were you by that? And when he got off course, that pretty much ended his uh, his race in terms of contending for a victory. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I feel bad that it had to happen that way, but, you know, I don't think I really did anything wrong. I think he hit me in the rear. Um, and spun himself out, which unfortunately it went that way. Um, I've yet, I haven't been talking to him yet, so I don't know how he feels about it, but, um, you know, I think I'll, I'll get a clearer explanation tomorrow when I can look at everything and actually understand what happened. I haven't seen anything yet. And now the season ramps up next Sunday, the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach, a race that you, growing up as a Southern California boy and Santa Clarita, have dreamed about winning. You have a very good shot next weekend. What would it be like to wrap up the 2021 season with a victory in the biggest street race in North America? Yeah, it would, it would feel amazing. Um, you know, it's a race I'd always look forward to. Huge race for IndyCar, awesome event. Um, you know, if, 
if I could win my first Long Beach Grand Prix this year, it would feel amazing. But, you know, I've got plenty of guys that are really strong and gunning for race wins, so it won't be too easy. And also going into the offseason with the momentum of challenging for the championship in 2022. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's nice. You know, I think at the moment I'm not really focused on that. You know, I just want to get through Long Beach, have some time off away from the racetrack, and then get right back into it. You know, it's going to be nice. I like the schedule for next year. You know, it's nice that Iowa's back. Nice that we're starting a little earlier in February, which should be interesting. And, um, yeah, can't wait. And a win in Long Beach. It'll be King Taco for everyone. There you go. <laughs> Colton Herta, congratulations on your big win here at Laguna Seca. And thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy. Thank you. In the world of racing, Penske means performance and winning. For good reason. Since 1966, Team Penske has won 44 national championships, 17 in IndyCar alone. And last year, Team Penske claimed its Indianapolis 500 record-extending 19th Indy 500 win with Joseph Newgarden, the latest driver, to win the famed race. Team Penske also won its second straight NASCAR Cup Series championship. In 2022, Penske was the first team in history to win both the IndyCar and the NASCAR Cup Series championships in the same season. Team Penske enters the 2024 NTT IndyCar Series season with 236 IndyCar wins, including 34 500-mile race victories. Those are results that are tough to top. But Penske's legendary reputation for quality and attention to detail makes a statement off the track, too. When you need a truck, whether for your business or for a household move, Penske Truck Rental has some of the cleanest, newest, and best-maintained vehicles on the road. And we make it easy with personalized support from our associates, flexible reservations, and access to the top technology. With quick pickup and drop-off at more than 2,500 locations across North America, our scale and know-how will keep you covered, all helping to ensure you get the right, reliable, fuel-efficient vehicle when and where you need it. On the highways, the raceways, and every pit stop in between, Penske keeps you moving forward. Gain ground with Penske. Get a quote today at PenskeTruckRental.com or... For household rentals, download the Penske Truck Rental mobile app today. Seven-time NASCAR Cup Series champion Jimmy Johnson had the best race of his IndyCar Series rookie season this past Sunday at Monterey. He started 25th and finished 17th, but it's how he raced that was the story. He mastered the corkscrew portion of the road course when he passed veteran driver James Hinchcliffe late in the race. He also had a car-banging battle with eventual third-place finisher Romain Grosjean. Johnson's racing dream began when he was just a kid attending the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach. This weekend, he gets to achieve his dream of competing in the big event as he explains to me in this interview. Joining us now on Pit Pass Indy is the driver of the number 48 Carvana American Legion Honda for Chip Ganassi Racing. It's seven-time Cup Series champion Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy, this is a race you've dreamed about since you were a kid, going to Long Beach. Yeah. Now that it's finally here, how excited are you? 
I, I am so excited to be here and so thankful for this opportunity. And I was a teenage kid coming to this race and uh, dreaming of being in the race. And not, not only that aspect that I've experienced, but this was also when it's traditionally held in April, it was my check-in with Chevrolet at the time. And we would kind of lay out the following year's plans or at least get some ideas put together and see where my career was gonna go. So not only did I dream about being a race car driver here, and I also kind of found out what my fate was for the next upcoming season. Did you get autographs? Did you meet drivers? Did you get a chance to really talk with any of them? And if so, who were they? I honestly have never gotten an autograph. I, maybe it's just my generation, my era, but I, I would stalk, I would watch, I would study any driver that I could, any team that I could. And, and back then I didn't have passes to really get very far. So my exposure was pretty limited. But who was the first big name driver you had a chance to really sit and talk to that was in kart IndyCar? I guess the first would really be Robbie Gordon. Robbie came out of the off-road industry. Um, we knew his family very well. I know Robbie very well. And I'd say it was probably my first conversation. And ironically, now I'm meeting more of the drivers from that era that I didn't have access to and have been able to get to know a little bit. I was a big Alan Jr. fan, and I've gotten to know a little Al since. Um, and Jimmy Vassar was somebody that I was really into and uh, it was into, you know, really liked his vibe and what he was about as well. So when you first walked into Long Beach, what was it that hooked you first on the event? Was it the, the sight, the sounds, the speed? The sound. I'll never forget walking, I guess it's probably, no, it's not Shoreline, whatever, whatever parked in a parking structure at a hotel and you could hear the cars ripping by and it would just make my my skin crawl. I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. And then the crossover bridge on the back straightaway, hearing the cars, uh, that, that was the, the moment for me. How about the vibe? Every Southern California kid has to really think of how much fun that weekend can be because it's always beautiful weather, you know, lots of young people there. It's a party atmosphere. It really is. And I, uh, I just, there's so many positive memories that, that I have from there. I spent a lot of time in the Long Beach area, uh, some of the beaches nearby growing up. Um, it was just neat to see something so big come, come close to home for me and have these you know, heroes of mine uh, racing on, on that track. So uh, it's neat that it's finally here and I'm, I'm really cool, glad to be a part of it. One of the things about your rookie season is when you go back to a track that you've either tested at or previously raced at, the level of improvement steps up dramatically. How important has that been to you? It really has been important and just shows just how specialized this form of racing is. Um, the commitment level required to make one of these cars go is, is quite high. And as I get more comfortable with the car and I learn the tracks and where to place the car on the tracks, my performance keeps getting better. And because of that, we started to see a dramatic increase in your raciness if that is a word, but you're racing us beginning with the second trip to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course, the big machine spiked coolers Grand Prix, and that's continued, continued at Portland where you tested a lot. Laguna Seca, you've tested twice. So is it a comfort level you feel with the course or with the what the car is capable of doing on the course? It's a little of everything, honestly. Um, but I think the track and having notes to study, like going to a track and testing or, or racing on it, being able to sleep on it, watch video, compare my notes, compare my data. Um, I've always been really good at visually learning from data and applying it, and I think that's the biggest help. You've had a lot of fun this year with the fans, with Carvana picking your paint scheme. 
How cool of a program has that been to have the fans from race to race sometimes pick your paint scheme? Yeah, they're they're so good in so many ways. And that's that's Carvana uh, from an amazing service that they provide uh, to their vision and marketing and how to uh, to really connect with their consumers. My cars have looked awesome. I'm excited for next year to see you know where where we take things and how we can integrate the fans, but it's been a really neat part of this year's program. What's your favorite fan scheme been? It is so hard to pick one, but I, I think the one I ran at Mid-Ohio with, uh, with all the dog tags on the car, not necessarily dog tags, but the post tags from the American Legion on the car, uh, I just thought that car was really sharp and had, had a great pop to it. Well, speaking of that, the American Legion has also been a major partner in your program. I know that we've talked a lot about their involvement, what it's like to have you represent us. I had a president of the Department of Oregon Legion Auxiliary tell me at Portland that it's an honor to have Jimmy Johnson as their spokesman. When you hear people from the Legion, Legion Auxiliary, talk to you in those terms, how does it make you feel? <laughs> it's humbling. And to steal a line from Chip Ganassi, we were at a big event and they thanked us for being there. And Chip's like, this is crazy. You're thanking us. We want to thank you. And it's much like this honoring comment. I mean, I'm, I'm honored to represent them, the men and women that have served our country to defend our freedoms. Um, it's an honor to carry the American Legion on the race car and represent them. And to get that organization involved in IndyCar, they have 5 million, 8 million members and now they're watching IndyCar. That's gotta really be one of the great programs that we've seen in this sport in a while. It is, their support and commitment, um, and then the pride they have to be involved as well is, is unmatched. Um, it, it, again, it really is an honor to have them on the car, and every Legionnaire I meet, they're just full of such pride and uh, such a big smile on their face. It's really been cool. And do you have a favorite moment of anything you've been able to do with the American Legion? I was able to take a bunch of Legionnaires on a ride in a race car at, um, in Phoenix before the national convention. And to, uh, to have one individual tell me, look, I survived, I survived a war, stand on the gas and scare me. That, that was like the ultimate moment. And wrapping up here with Jimmy Johnson of Chip Ganassi Racing, what's the off season gonna be like for you? We know that you're testing at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on the Oval to try to decide uh, what your schedule will look like in 2022, potential that you may be running in the 106 Indianapolis 500. What's your off season gonna be like? What are some of the things you wanna work on to improve in year two? Yeah, off season's really a mix of, of work and, and just family time. Um, I have Petit Le Mans that's coming up, the last IMSA race. I'm hopeful to run in the endurance schedule next year in the IMSA series. And if that all gets kicked off, I'll have some testing to do to get ready for the uh, Rolex 24. And then some kind of testing for Indy cars. So I, I don't see a ton of like racing related work and more about being a ski bum, being with my family, enjoying the holidays. Well, I know that you've had a blast this season just being part of a new group of uh, new racing series with a new group of racers. So. So far, I've seen a smile on your face all season, so Thank obviously you. you're having fun. I'm having a blast. Thank you. Jimmy Johnson, good luck the rest of this season. Good luck in 2022. Good luck in a, on the upcoming tests at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy. You got it. Thank you. In an extended interview, Grand Prix Association of Long Beach President Jim McCallion joins us for an entertaining and informative discussion of what makes the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach so special. Joining us now on Pit Pass Indy is the president of the 
Grand Prix Association of Long Beach, Jim McCallion. Jim, for the first time in the history of this storied race, you're going to crown a series champion in the NTT IndyCar Series. How big of an honor is that going to be to have that as part of the illustrious history of the greatest street race in North America? Well, thanks, Bruce. And I can tell you this, this will be the first time, and unfortunately, it'll probably be the last time that we crown a champion here because we're going back onto our usual April date in 2022. But I think it's great that we'll be able to see this championship come to an end. It's been so competitive all year long. And there's, as we talk today, there's one race left in Laguna and then they come here and we're looking and hoping that the championship will be decided right on the streets of Long Beach on September the 26th. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, this race wasn't held in 2020. But for about a month or five weeks after that date, you had worked pretty hard to try to find an accommodation for the fall of 2020. How much work did you put into that last year to try to get the city and local and state governments to give you a window of opportunity? Well, it, it's really a complicated process because unlike a permanent circuit, one, you have to find out whether there's availability in terms of the convention center, in terms of the areas around it, including the parking lots, what is the situation with regard to hotel availability? And then how does that fit into the schedule of the city? That's all before you go and talk to all the various sanctioning bodies, where are they at? How much accommodation can they make to coming out to Long Beach and back? Can you find a common date? Can you get all of those series to agree on something that they, that, uh, they want to participate in? It's a, it's a very complicated process and quite frankly, in 20, we did that right in the middle of the pandemic beginning to surge. And so there were questions literally about whether it was even viable to consider going ahead in 2020 in the fall. So once we got to that point, then I decided, you know what, let's just focus on 21 because the prognostication was that things were gonna get better, that the, there was gonna be a vaccine and that a number of things were gonna transpire so that 21 would look like a more viable option. Then we got into the late November, December of 20, and it looked like no matter what transpired, this race would not occur in, uh, in April of 2021. So we had to go through the same process all over again. But then we were looking at the situation where there were uh, series that were on the West Coast. So how can we tie all that together make sure we had the convention center and all of its facilities available, and then work with the city to clear that date. Fortunately for us, especially as it regards IndyCar, they were on what we call the West Coast Swing. They were going Portland and Laguna. So we came in right behind Laguna, found an empty date at the arena and the convention center. And uh, you know, that's, uh, that's really worked out for us here. Uh, even, though, even though there is still a pandemic, and we still are gonna take the measures, the safety measures necessary to make this thing uh, a safe environment for people to be able to come and enjoy the venue. The fan support out here in April has always been spectacular. Usually you draw huge crowds out here. What is the level of support been like in ticket sales for a September date? I think that having a championship on the line with uh, with the IndyCar series has been a big boon to us. A lot of people have been following that uh, as, it, as it's cr 
manifested itself throughout the rest of the season. And it's been, as you know, it's been, you know, really tight all the way through with various leaders going uh, into uh, uh, various positions as time has gone along. So that has definitely helped us. Uh, there are going to be some fairly stringent mandates uh, that have been dictated by the state and by the city of Long Beach. And as a consequence of that, why people here will be uh, asked to wear a mask, there will be uh, proof of vaccination or a very recent negative COVID test. But in a way that works to our favor because then what happens is that the people that do attend the event can feel fairly safe in this environment where that might not be the case when they were at other major sporting events in California. But do you have a message for the renegades who simply aren't going to do any of that, that uh, they they won't be allowed entry into the facility? Well, we're, we're positioning it as a positive development. What we're saying is those are the things you need to do to come to the event. If you do, and negative COVID testing is going to be available on site, on site for free, if people come to the event on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, haven't taken care of the vaccination component of it. So that opportunity is there. If somebody doesn't want to engage in either one of those and doesn't want to wear a mask, let's say, then this event's not going to be for them this year. How important has it been to gauge the fan support for, say, the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Los Angeles Rams and the Los Angeles Chargers and the Southern California Trojans because they're playing with 100% capacity. And as long as that happens and nothing, there are no outbreaks, that has to be positive for an event such as yours. Oh, well, I'll tell you, just having seen the image of all of those spectators gathered at all the venues you talked about and more, concerts that are taking place where you look out there and people are sitting shoulder to shoulder and seemingly unconcerned about the, the pandemic in that environment lends itself to the idea that coming to the Grand Prix is going to be no different than that. And yes, it's a longer day because of the length of the activities. But other than that, this venue here is like the same venues that you were mentioning. And I think people are beginning to become more comfortable attending events in those kinds of settings. Did the historic nature and the long tradition of the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach, was it similar to say what the Indianapolis 500 went through last year that maybe newer events would have struggled to be able to host their events without spectators? You had to take a year off, but because of the historic nature of the events, you've been able to fi financially keep them viable even by missing a year. Well, there's, there's no doubt that in, uh, in 2020, we suffered a fairly significant uh, financial hit by the fact that we were 70% ready to conduct the race. And then March the 12th, 2020, everybody stopped here in this state, as well as many places in the country. And we had basically went and took everything back and got zero revenue out of that. So that, that was a significant financial ball. But we managed to be able to work through it. We've got here tremendous support from our sponsors, most of all from Acura. Uh, we, uh, the situation could have been much different if we hadn't had that relationship, which started, ironically enough, just the year before in 2019. Um, and they and a bunch of, uh, you know, of our other sponsors have stayed loyal with us. And what we want to do is we're looking forward to rewarding that for our fans, for our sponsors, for our hospitality clients, 
and everybody else who stayed with us. We want to give them a great and exciting weekend on September 24th to the 26th. Well, not only is Acura a very important sponsor and partner of the event, but also the fact that you have such a great relationship with the city of Long Beach that without that, this event probably wouldn't have lasted as long as it has. How valuable is that to be able to... It really puts the focus and the spotlight on this great city in Southern California. Well, you know, one of the keys to the success of street racing, and you, Bruce, you know the, the history of street racing, and it's not a very pretty scene when you look how many events have been initiated around, all, literally around the country, and how many still exist. But one of the key reasons for the success of the event is the venue in which the event takes place. It needs to be an attractive venue, place where people want to go, place where they know they're going to have a certain degree of enjoyment. And if you can provide that, which the city of Long Beach has the capability of doing, then you're in a position where you can invite not just racing people, but you're inviting anybody who wants to come down and enjoy the amenities. And you're here right on the waterfront of Long Beach, okay, with all the developments taking place, hotels, restaurants, shopping centers, all within easy reach of anybody that comes here to this event. That is one of the things that makes this event special. Do you have anything special planned for the championship celebration for the champion when he when the race is over? Yes, there will be a formal presentation of the championship trophy uh, as a part of the whole victory circle ceremony. But there will be a separate stage and there'll be a separate ceremony that accompanies the crowning of the 2021 IndyCar champion. Hollywood's just about 25 miles up the road. Is there going to be a Hollywood flair to it? I'm hoping so. You know, we're, we're watching closely to what happens uh, at the race at Laguna. Nevertheless, if they come here and there's two or perhaps three drivers in contention, that's more than we could wish for in terms of being a championship race. One of those drivers in contention is Pat O'Ward, and he's from Mexico. And, of course, Southern California has a very large Hispanic American community. How important is it for a driver like that to give these fans somebody to really pull for? It's absolutely important. And I tell you, Bruce, it goes back many, many years ago when we began to build interest amongst the Hispanic and Mexican community in this event. And it started with Adrian Fernandez back when he had Tecate and Quaker State sponsorship. And we had Tecate as a sponsor. And it went to Mario Dominguez. And it went to King Taco, who's one of our longtime sponsors. And we built a following amongst the Hispanic community based primarily on the achievements of those particular drivers. Now, Pato Award comes along after there's been a break in terms of uh, presence of a Mexican driver here, and he is fulfilling all of the wishes of anybody who wanted to see a dominant Mexican driver in the series. We had him here in an advance uh, appearance, and the media took every opportunity they could to come out and interview him. He's a great uh, uh, interview. He's a great spokesman for the sport, and we wish him nothing but the best and staying, and hopefully staying in the series for a while, too. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you've been here since day one of this event. Yeah, and what was your role in the early days? Well, in the early days, I can tell you, we didn't have much of a staff here. We had like four people, and we brought 
you know, individuals on. So we did a lot of things. I actually, I was uh, in charge of advertising, in charge of promotions, in charge of, the, the, I was a controller too at the time, had responsibility for all the ticketing systems. And then as time went along, those things just expanded into, you know, different roles. And, you know, today, why we have a great staff and that's the reason we can put on this event at the level it is, it uh, has achieved. And I can count on them to be able to perform week in and week out. So it started as a Formula 5000 event in 1975? Right, because in those days, Formula One required that you run a test race, if you would. And, and Formula 5000, by the way, in 1975 was a pretty spectacular domestic American series. I mean, when you look at the entries, in our Formula 5000 race in September of 75 with Mario and Brian Redman and uh, Al Unser Sr. And names, you know, you, you'd be amazed how many people were competing in that, uh, in that race. And then of course we went to Formula One in 1976, stayed in Formula One till 83 and then 84, we switched over to IndyCar and we've been a part of the IndyCar slash IRL slash cart, whatever, since then. What's your favorite memory of the Formula One days? Mario Andretti winning the race here in 1977 because that race and his victory achieved legitimacy for the Grand Prix in Long Beach. Uh, it took something like that, a, a, an American driver driving an F1 car on the streets of Long Beach to say this event it has established itself as a venue of importance on the calendar of racing. And then your favorite moment in the kart days. You, you had a lot to choose from. You had Al Unser Jr. was the king of the beach. Won here six times. Yeah, he, he, his record is likely never to be broken here. We've had a number of, you know, four-time winners. Uh, but I think Al and his dominance there. And the other part of it is when Alex Zanardi and Juan Montoya came, and they were driving those target cars and that whole era when there was huge sponsorship not only in terms of commercial interest but you had up to six manufacturers in the series at that time which was a huge benefit to not only the series but all the promoters that were conducting these races and also in 2008 after unification this race was the champ car series finale which in a lot of ways was fitting because of the heritage of the race through the Formula One and through the kart years. How special was that, that this is the race that will always go down as the finale of the Champ Car Series in that era? Well, it was very significant because obviously that was, uh, you know, an end of a, a long history of kart. And don't forget, at the time, and still is, our owners were Kevin Kalkoven and Jerry Forsyth, who invested a lot of money and time and effort in cart, so I think it was only befitting that this race, the race they own, would be the location for the finale of the series. And then beginning in 2009, it's the current IndyCar series, and do you think that a lot of fans have been pleasantly surprised by the competitive nature that that series has brought to this race? The cars may not have been as fast as some of the champ cars or the cart cars of the, of the past, but it's all relative because everybody's running the same speed. Speed doesn't really matter, Bruce, when you think about it. What matters is competitiveness, okay? 
the amount of cars that are running side by side, the amount of passes, the amount of competition on the streets. And right now, IndyCar is as competitive as virtually any other series. Like you say, it's a spec series, and IndyCar has done a lot to keep the cost down. You have a lot of different drivers. Look, you've got domestic drivers, you've got international drivers, you've got Formula One drivers coming over, you've got Jimmy Johnson from NASCAR, and you see more and more younger drivers coming out of F2 saying, maybe my path to Formula One isn't working, but I'm gonna try to get into uh, to IndyCar. So the series, when you look at it and how successful it is, and success is measured in one way by the number of entries, you know, this series is thriving right now. They got a new contract with uh, NBC, which provides them some continuity uh, into the future. And so I, I think there's nothing but, uh, you know, really positive vibes coming out of uh, out of the series right now. You brought up an interesting name, Jimmy Johnson. He used to come here as a teenager with his father. He was a fan of the Long Beach Grand Prix. He dreamed of being an Indy 500 driver. Now, this weekend, he's going to run his first Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach. And how special is that to see Jimmy Johnson go from a teenage fan to now in the field at Long Beach? Oh, you know, for anybody who's followed his career, they realize, I mean, you know, he, he went to motocross for a while and then he came back and went into NASCAR, had great success there, seven championships. And now he's trying his hand at IndyCar, and I give him credit. That is not an easy transition at all. And what's, what is really revealing about it is how he's improved as time has gone along. Rather than feeling deflated after the early uh, lack of success he had, you know, he's still coming on strong. And I, and I read the other day something was interesting. He's never finished last in, a, in an IndyCar race yet. Which, which is sort of cool, you know? I mean, and I give the guy credit at his age to take on a whole new discipline when he didn't need to, didn't need to prove anything to anybody but to himself. Congratulations to him. And how many fans at Sunday's race do you think are gonna be rooting on Jimmy Johnson? I don't know, but if there's a 48 number on their shirt, I know who, that, who, who their uh, favorite driver is. Well, he's, he's also told me that he's got quite a long list on friends and family that's going to be coming to the race. So it's already a packed crowd you get here. It's just going to be a little bit more packed now with him in it. Can't let you go without you telling one of my favorite stories that you've told me. I've written about it in the past, but our listeners uh, might enjoy hearing it. It's the bus, the day trips that you used to be able to do with some of the residents of the area is the, are the day trips still going on? And I know uh, if you could describe what the day trips were and what you would have to do. Well, first to confirm, the day trips are still on. We still take people out of town who live in certain uh, residences at the circuit. When we started this race in 75, we offered them the option to go out of town on a bus trip that we sponsored on Saturday and Sunday, and we would take them out, take them to a, some kind of a, a, a amusement park or a museum or shopping center, and we would give them their lunch money and then we'd bring them back. And that, that uh, process has continued on over all the years. Obviously, the numbers have begun to shrink as time has gone along. And now where we used to take three or 400 people out in the beginning, 
we're down to where we we're lucky to have a mini bus full of 15 people but we still do it and we'll continue to do it so that it offers anybody that wants to take advantage of it that lives in those specific residences the chance to get out of town and of course these day trips were for the non-race fans that lived in those buildings that may have complained about the the noise or the crowds or anything like that but but bruce what happened after the first race was a lot of those people that lived in those buildings especially the ones overlooking the circuit they talked about leaving town their relatives their sons their grandsons their families said you can go but we want your apartment because we want to be able to watch the race from where we are and 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 grandma would say well if you're coming to see me i'm going to stay here anyway so as time went along it became a boon to the residents to say hey this is the only time my family comes and sees me is when there's this grand prix thing going on in town and so i'm staying and i'm not uh, i'm looking forward to having my family join me and where is this year's uh, day trip going to be they're going down to um carlsbad to the there's a a, a unique shopping center down there and i think they're going up to the getty museum the uh, art museum so it's those are the kinds of trips that we've been able to uh, arrange for them over the years and wrapping up here with Jim McCallion, president of the Grand Prix Association of Long Beach. I always want to get that straight. With Roger Penske taking over the ownership of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the IndyCar Series, it seems like a lot of really positive and exciting things have happened. How do you look at his ability to really... you got to give a lot of credit to his ownership for why the series is as strong as it is today. Well, not only do you have to give him credit for the strength of the series, but think back. Think back, what would have been the condition of IndyCar if it had been under the, any other uh, management going through this pandemic? Just think about that for a second. Would there even be an IndyCar? And how solvent would it be? And would we be seeing the, the expenditures that Roger has done, not just at the facility in Indianapolis, but for the series itself? Uh, you know, those were huge contributions he made on the basis that this is something that he feels very strongly about and has committed to maintaining for years to come. And, you know, I, I give him credit and I think about what other possibilities there were uh, if he hadn't been at the helm. And uh, I, I don't like the thought of that. So, you know, we're very delighted to have Roger, his team. They're all very dedicated individuals and they understand the sport which is really critical from our perspective as a promoter. And uh, I think the future looks very bright and brighter because Rogers and his team are in charge of the series. And wrapping up here with Jim McCallion, president of the Grand Prix Association of Long Beach, your race has been called the greatest street race in North America or the second biggest street race in the world behind the Monaco Grand Prix. Easily, it's the second biggest race on the IndyCar schedule behind the Indianapolis 500. When you hear accolades like that, how do you feel? What does it make you think about? You know, I'll tell you what, Bruce, it just charges us with making sure that we continue on the legacy that this race has created. Every year is a new challenge because you want to be able to create a new environment, the new entertainment vehicles, a new elements that will attract your fans back. And when you've done this for 45 years, which we have, we got to constantly keep it fresh and new and different. And it is an example of that, you know, bringing new events here, like the global time attack, which is something that'll be 
conducted here on the racetrack for the first time in uh, uh, on all three days of the weekend. That's just an example of how we are constantly trying to keep the event fresh and people excited about coming to Long Beach. Jim McCallion, president, Grand Prix Association of Long Beach. Congratulations on the great history this event's had. Good luck in this weekend's renewal of the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach. And thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy. Oh, thank you, Bruce. We appreciate all the support you've given us over the years. And more importantly, we're looking forward to putting on the 45th Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach in September and then coming back in six months and doing it all over again at the 2022 event here next April. And we'll be here for that. And that puts a checkered flag on this edition of Pit Pass Indy. We want to thank Chip Ganassi Racing Driver and NTT IndyCar Series Championship Leader Alex Pillow, Errol McLaren SP Driver Pato Award, Team Penske's Joseph Newgarden, Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey race winner Colton Hurt of Andretti Autosport, seven-time NASCAR Cup Series champion and IndyCar rookie Jimmy Johnson of Chip Ganassi Racing, and Grand Prix Association of Long Beach President Jim McCallion for joining us on today's podcast. Along with loyal listeners like you, our guests help make Pit Pass Indy your path to victory lane for all things IndyCar. For more IndyCar coverage, follow me at Twitter at Bruce Martin, one word, uppercase B, uppercase M, underscore 500. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thanks to our production team. Executive producers are Bridget Coyne and Gerardo Orlando. Recordings and edits were done by me, Bruce Martin, and final mixing was done by Dave Douglas. Learn more at evergreenpodcast.com. Until next time, be sure to keep it out of the wall.